All right. Good morning, Rock Bible Church. Remember me? <laughs> it's so great to be back. Um, and I got a new phone, apparently. Somebody left up here, so don't call it if you know whose it is. Um, it's so great to be back. Uh, I just want to thank well, you guys for staying here till I got back. But really, uh, Mark Campbell two weeks ago, and then uh, John Tompkins last week covering while we went to Mexico, and then I'll tell you what we did last weekend in a minute. Um, but it was just great to see uh, Mark, and I'm, I miss him dearly, but he's got so much energy, and for him to come in and just continue what we're doing, you know, so we're Rock Bible Church, and uh, we have some identifying markers. One of them is we go through a book, chapter at a time, right? That's why you saw the bumper on First Samuel. That was fun. And so to have him come in and do uh, chapter 16 with the introduction of David and the selection of him to be king by God through Samuel and Jesse's kids being paraded out and how that made sense to him with the ministry that he's doing right now with Tribal Way and the loose change retreats and stuff was really pretty great. Uh, I watched it online. If you missed it, please make sure you go back and, and take a look at that. And then John Tompkins, we, we, a lot of us in men's ministry, we call him the sage because he's full of wisdom and the whole thing. And uh, so to have him come up and then just take chapter 17 and run with it and keep going because, you know, for us to stay on track. I, I told both guys, I said, you, you can speak on whatever you want. You don't have to keep the tradition of chapter at a time. I was kind of hoping they would take me up on that. So that I can do David, you know, all that kind of stuff. But to see them come in with their voice and represent God and look at a passage and give from wisdom uh, was wonderful. So I want to thank those two guys. Uh, and it allowed us to go to Mexico. I know you've heard of it because uh, when the rest of the group came back, I, I know they talked about it and I, I watched that as well. Um, but I just want to thank you as a congregation uh, one more time our ability to go and minister and to put somebody who was living in a box. I don't know if you caught the video uh, clip, the, the montage that we said, there was one little clip of this weird looking box. That was their house. And I was standing next to it and trying to, is this like the storage unit or something? And, and, and the one guy we're working with, no, that's their house. And it just was so inspiring to say, oh, well, we're gonna make this house much better than and so thank you for being a church that uh, serves the greater community. Amen? Amen? Right? Welcome to Rock Bible Church. We're a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community, right? Which means we're compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways that welcome all to worship. Being a community that serves the greater community. Amen? Um, and Mexico is one of the great places where we get to do that. All right. So um, you, you want to have a little fun? So we didn't come home from Mexico. We flew up to Oregon. John, do me a favor. Stand up for a second. Let's go. Yeah. So every job has its perks, right? When you're a pastor, one of the few perks is to honor your son in public, right? John, what happened last Saturday? 
There you go. Good job. For those who couldn't hear it, I just finished a five-year mechanical and manufacturing engineering degree from Oregon State, and we got to watch him and walk across stage and the whole thing. It just made us proud as a family, so thanks for that. Yep. Um, and then uh, we came back from that to a rehearsal dinner and then a wedding last night. Let's take a look at the new couple. Some, some of you know them very, very well because they're family, and then some of you recognize them because they're up here all the time every Sunday. But uh, John LaFountain, Joan Pollard. Oh, wait. Joan LaFountain. No. Right? So we got to celebrate with them and, and did the whole ceremony last night. And uh, they're busy today. I don't think they'll be here. So, <laughs> But you can uh, congratulate them uh, later at a future date. So thanks for that. Um, and then I just want to add on the talk about summer camp and the praying, Megan Ash. Pray specifically. She's wonderful. We're blessed to have her, aren't we? Yes. I, I did way too many youth events and being in charge to know what she's about to be in for a week and how excited she's going to be next week when she's home and recovering and the whole thing. Um but on, in that light, uh, when you do take one of those things and pray for them, pray specifically. Have fun with it. He said, you know, throw up a little prayer. How about, how about let's change the qualifier to a specific prayer or a big prayer? Hey, God, let somebody meet you today. Let somebody accept you today. Uh, let somebody hear a new truth or mend a relationship or release a guilt or something like that. Have fun. Be creative. Make up your prayers, but let's pray for our students because um, I believe we're supposed to raise up a child in the way that they should go, and then they will soon not depart from it. Amen? So that's what we're doing. All right, you ready to have a little more fun? Let's pray, and we'll jump into First uh, Samuel chapter 18. Lord, thanks for this morning, and thanks for last two weeks and all the different things that we can look at and praise you for. We are reminded that you are in control of all things and you do second chances and you offer grace. You even give us the voice to be able to sing praise to you and just to even attend something is a gift. So we're thankful for all of this. And I pray that we would see that there's more this morning, more than just relationship with you. But once we start that relationship, it can go places, great places, that we could even call success. And so I pray you would be with us in these next few moments in this passage. Pray that what we say would honor you and your son through your spirit. In his name, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. First Samuel chapter 18 is the third chapter of David. Well, David's not a book, I know. It's just the story of David kind of starts two chapters ago in verse, or, or chapter 16, um, when he gets selected as the replacement for Saul. Saul kind of, well, he dropped the ball. Let's do the short version. And so Samuel, as God's representative prophet, comes and says, look, um, you had your chance, and you had second chances and multiple chances, and sorry, God's going to use somebody else now. Um, now, luckily, he said that to David or, or to Saul, not to you. Amen. 
But here comes David on the scene uh, two chapters ago. And then last chapter, uh, we, we get the story of all of Israel at war. But it was a weird war because it's like a junior high dance where everybody's standing on one side and the other half are standing and the, nobody's dancing. And they just have one representative come out and says, who wants to fight me? And he was a really, really big guy. And, you know, uh, John covered that last week, this idea that uh, David, the least son of the tribe of, or of Jesse in the lowest tribe and all this kind of, he shows up and says, I'll do it. Um, we get this sense of he knows what success is, where it comes from, and the equation. And I love this, okay? And I'm, I'm kind of solving like a, a past hurt, per se. I worked with a guy, a pastor, who told me, oh, we never used the word success at church. And I said, oh, because God loses so much? That's a joke, right? He's undefeated. No, I just, I would never want anybody to think about success in terms of their relationship with the Lord. It's like, really? I'm, think, I'm looking at myself for my whole life. It's like all I've ever done was compete. All right? Who gets the biggest ice cream? Right? I want to win that contest. Who's first in line? Everything's about competition. So I, I couldn't understand. No, he, he would say, I, oh, I think we should talk about it in terms of effective. Like a relationship with the Lord should be effective. Like, okay. I get that, but when do we get to win? <laughs> right? So, um, I like this chapter, um, and really it's, it might be my favorite, it probably is my favorite chapter, because we're going to talk about this idea of success, and how does David get to it? Um, how does God supply it, and the whole thing? I know some of you are thinking, wow, your favorite chapter in the whole Bible is First Samuel chapter 18? No, no. I'm going to give you a freebie this morning, okay, when somebody asks you, what's your favorite passage? Here's what you say. The one I'm reading currently. All right, so this is the one we're in, so it's my favorite today. Let's jump in. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, this is um, still in conversation about Saul being dropped as king and someone else taken over. Uh, and the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. So Saul's son, Jonathan, it's almost like he sees the writing on the wall and realizes, oh, this is going to be the king. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That, this is a little bit of a dangerous um, statement here because did he just pick sides? And he picked sides against his dad, which you're never supposed to do. <laughs> and he picked sides against the king. This could be super dangerous, right? No, understand, in this culture back then, sons often competed for the throne of their father and sometimes would have them killed or just outright kill them themselves because they knew they were the heir, okay? Um, if I die, neither of you gets the church, okay? So there's no reason to <laughs> knock me off. Um, so this could be potentially dangerous for Jonathan, but he says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe and I'm going to trust this. Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor. 
and even his sword and his bow and his belt, he has almost given up his position, his title, his place. And he's doing it out of faith in what he thinks is the direction God's going. I'm going to guess. And David went out and was what? Are you sure? Because one of my pastors told me I can't use that word. David went out and was successful. Welcome to Rock Bible Church. We're an interactive church. All right, I'll try to warn you for when we have the interactive portions of the morning. But I want to make sure you say that word so that it sticks. Right? Because when you get out your outline and you look at the top, it says 1 Samuel chapter 18. And what's the title? Yeah, see, I didn't make that up because I wanted to counteract something that bugged me years ago. I stole it from the chapter. He was successful. That's great. Let's find out how and how he did it. Um, wherever Saul sent him, that's where he was successful. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So everything's going well for David. Sounds like success. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, that was Goliath last week, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul. Tambourines, songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Hey guys, so glad you're home. David's ten times better than you. Dancing and singing. That's my impersonation of Israeli women dancing thousands of years ago. Um, and Saul was very angry. You can understand that. Uh, this, this, it displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to, ten, uh, to David 10,000. To me, they've only ascribed thousands. Uh, what more can he be, have but the kingdom? What's he knows coming? He knows I, I might be witnessing the heir apparent. You know, when, when the NBA star gets outscored in a game by some new young buck, makes them nervous. They usually have a great game right after that, right? Because they want to make sure they haven't lost it. And Saul eyed David uh, from that day on. What's he want? What's Saul want? What does that mean? He eyed David from that day. He looked on him kindly. No, I'm, I'm coming for you. I'm going to take you out. And we're going to see that for chapters and chapters now. And it's very interesting because we're going to see David in trial and tribulation under pressure and stress, threat of his life and the whole thing. And we're going to see how he handles it. How does he carry himself um, when there's tragedy or stress or whatever it is? Um, that might be a good lesson for us, you think? Any of you ever deal with conflict or trouble? We're going to get some great lessons out of this. Uh, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved with him. No one's going to say anything about that? Speak up right there. Did you just see the sentence we read? The next day, a harmful, harmfuls, good or bad? A bad spirit from, shouldn't that say Satan or the devil or a demon? A, a negative spirit from God kind of hung out near Saul, brushed up against him? No, 
rushed upon him. Ooh. So I'm, I'm trying to reform from my early Christian days when my Sunday school teachers lied to me. They told me that everything was good and God is love and everything will be perfect and wonderful if you just accept Jesus because he has a wonderful plan for your life. Here's the four spiritual laws. Here's your equation. No one was telling me that, uh, no, when they did the whole Noah thing, everybody died on the planet. That there were all kinds of negative stories in the Bible and that sometimes God gets mad. He makes decisions. Uh, he gets mad, but he, he has regrets, it actually says in this passage. And he says, you know what? I'm going to mess with you. Do we just say that at church? Oh, I mean, kind of. But we got a verse. God will mess with you. Why would he do that? Because he's got an agenda. <laughs> You're not in it. That's rough. Right? You know what my fears are? I mean, I'm, I'm a sports guy, right? Or used to be, back when I was in shape and all that kind of stuff. Um, here's the analogy. One of my fears with God is that it'll put me on the sidelines. That I become a sub. The bench is right. right? I don't want to be benched. Um, it's a really nice way of saying a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. You want success? Uh, do it with God. Um, because he knows about losing too. And he knows how to make sure people lose. If they're not willing to rise to the occasion. Uh, he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. Uh, pre previous chapters, uh, David had come in. Apparently he was good, not just the sling, but he was good with instruments. He could play music that would calm the king down. And here he is calming the king down. Is he doing a good thing? Absolutely. But Saul's going nuts, and uh, as he's playing the lyre, uh, day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand. Oh, this doesn't sound good. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. Now, that's just great writing. We need a movie, right, for this. Um, that's not good. And then watch this, because it gets a little bit worse. And David evaded him how many times? Oh, he missed on the first one. Now, I have said regularly that the Bible is very funny and there's irony in it if you'll look for it and you'll enjoy it, okay? This guy tried to throw a spear within a small room and hit somebody. It's not too hard, but he missed him twice. Who'd he miss? He missed the guy who took a sling and one small stone and at full sprint flung it and nailed the giant in the smack in the forehead and killed him for a shot. That's irony, folks. Right? David could kill Goliath with one stone, first time, full sprint, the whole thing. <laughs> Saul's within the same room in a big spear and he throws and he misses the first time. David, bring me the spear. Come here, I want to try this again. You know, I don't... So we have to decide when we make the movie, is it going to be serious or is it going to be a comedy? Because this stuff is great. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. 
Because what? Because the Lord was with him. If David was successful in all that he did, I think that place alongside, is that a combo meal? That he was with him? Absolutely. Your success will rise and fall on one thing for sure. Is God with you? Because then you'll win. Sometimes you won't have to do anything. You'll just get a phone call and find out it was solved and you did nothing. It's like, whoa, kind of like this God thing. And then other times you'll have to work your tail off or, you know, and then your back gets thrown out and then you catch a cold after that. And that was my last two weeks. Um, but it had departed from Saul. So will God withdraw himself from people? That happens. We see that in churches. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed at the things I hear sometimes from churches and, and somebody will come back, hey, I went to this church and I went to a service. They didn't even use the Bible the whole service. I never know what to say to that. You know, When we step away from God, He believes us. He'll step away from us. Right? People ask me, you know, ah, do we really need to go to church? Do we have to this? Do we have to that? It's like, uh, I don't understand the question. Why would you gamble with that? You know, those are the same types of people that were all standing on the sidelines when David showed up and says, oh, that's not a giant. That's a minor obstacle. I come from a God on high. Here, give, give, anybody got a rock? He says, we can solve this in moments. Well, you don't feel good? Let me play some music. David understood, you can just show up and start solving stuff if you're with God. When you're not with God, he'll use somebody else, right? That's rough. Verse 13, so Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. So he put him in charge of the army and went out and came in before the people. And David had, what's that word again? Oh, we've seen it twice now? Hmm, maybe I should send an email to that pastor. Uh, David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And now we've seen that twice. See, I paired it earlier because I knew it was going to be paired right here when we read it. For the Lord was with him, and when Saul saw that he had great success. Is that three times? Yes, we are counting. Okay, you got a tally mark on your notes? He stood in fearful awe of him. Um, there's a thing that just happened here because now Saul's having a new emotion. What is it? Fear. And we're going to harp on this a little bit today because fear is not for us. Fear is for those that are separated from God, who he's departed from. There's no reason for us to have fear. In fact, God says, be anxious for nothing, right? But all Israel, verse 16, and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. That's kind of a weird statement. What do you mean went out and came in? Well, if you're in charge of the armies, and every time you go out, you're going out to war, then if you come in, it means you lived and you won. It's a great little subtle statement there. Verse 17, then Saul said to David, uh, here's my elder daughter, Merab, I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me 
and fight the Lord's battles, right? He tried to make it spiritual. He's really trying to control David. We're going to see it here in a second. For Saul thought, uh, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. I know. I'll make him my son-in-law. I'll make him really important. We'll put him in charge of the army. And then when the Philistines find out that now he's the son-in-law, well, didn't we just increase the target on his back? Yeah, now they're going to want him dead. I won't have to do anything. They'll kill him for me. And David said to Saul, Who am I? And who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? He said, I'm not worthy. I haven't done anything. You don't, you don't need to do this. But at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel. Anybody want to try that one? Mehoelethite? There you go. That's what happens when you practice it all week. Uh, for a wife. So Saul goes off his plan, takes back his promise, and then gives his daughter to somebody else. Now Saul's daughter, uh, Mitchell, Michael, Michal. We're not going to get into it. I'm going to go with Michal. But um, I think it's where we get Michael, right, ultimately. Um, she loved David. Right? So this is the next daughter. They told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, uh, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. You're great. Everybody thinks you're great. Make yourself greater. Right? Let's pump him up. Talk him into this. And Saul's servant spoke these words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law since I'm a poor man and have no reputation? He's like, I have almost nothing to offer. And he's kind of, what's going on here? This is not a small thing. There's an agenda going on here. Right? He's, he's starting to understand and see this. And the servants of Saul told him, thus and so did David speak. Right? They, that's the cliff notes for it. He, this is what he said. And Saul said, uh, this you, you shall say to David, the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines that they may be avenged of the king's enemies. You don't have to be rich. You can be poor because I don't want a bride price. Here's what, I want you to go kill a hundred Philistines. Now, does he really want a hundred dead Philistines? What's he want? He wants one dead Jew, right? He wants one Israelite dead. He wants David dead. If he goes out somewhere in there, somebody's going to get him. Love this. More irony. God's sense of humor. Watch this. Uh, now Saul uh, thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. And before the time had expired, he said, oh, I don't need money and... I can up my staff. David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. I kind of think he knew what was going on. Anybody, anybody looking forward to heaven? I'm, I'm looking forward to heaven more and more, by the way. <laughs> One of the things I'm looking forward to is the conversations that I want to have with people I've never met 
because of the questions I want to ask, right? Uh, Job, what was it like? Jonah, what were you thinking, right? There's some great conversations. I, I want to ask David, did you know, did you just go get 200 of them because you knew God was on your side and you wanted to send a message to Saul and Israel that you knew what was going on? Do your worst. If God's on my side, I'll take the lion. I'll stand before the king. I will take down a giant. I'll come before any army. Love that. Love that. Uh, and David brought the foreskins, which uh, were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. That's funny. Imagine you're coming into the hall of, you know, where the king sits, and you're bringing your gift. Like, I want to be there for the presentation. Not for the weird part, gross, <laughs> but I want to see the look on king's face when here comes David. Oh, you asked for 100 because you wanted me dead. Here's 200, and no, you can't kill me. Just There's so much great dripping stuff there. <clears throat> and Saul gave him his daughter, Michal, for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more... Didn't we just have that word a little bit farther back in a different form? said he was fearful... Now he's afraid. He's afraid of David. We want to see the contrast between these two characters. One has fear and one is fearless. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commander of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more. That's four times. Than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed and may the lord bless the reading of his word amen? amen um i want to be successful i want you to be successful and here we get a great story about a guy who was successful and called that four times in a passage which is weird to me because it's supposed to come in threes and we got a fourth one this time apparently god really wants us to see this and <clears throat> first thing I want us to know is that success with God. Notice when you look at your um, outline, there's an ellipsis after God. Ellipsis? What is that, Scott? That's the three dots. Let you know the thought is yet to be over. Okay, so the beginning of all our fill-ins start with that phrase, success with God. Okay, so success with God comes from, we're at church, Ask the question. It comes from God with them. When someone's successful, it comes from God being with them, right? Saul even recognized that, hey, I, I, he, God's with David and he's departed me. If somebody does something and it goes well, if someone gets to live when they were supposed to die and then gets to get remarried when he was supposed to be dead, and not only that, Watch this one. This one blew some people away last night. The ex-wife is at the ex-husband's wedding honoring the new wife and stood up and gave this thing. People started crying. It was unbelievable. And, and I'm looking and watching this whole thing. I was, eh, God must be with them. It's why you're here. If you ever got to have kids, it's because God was with you. If you ever got a job 
or got released from a bad job, whatever. If you ever finished a five-year degree on time, it's because God was with you, right? Um, we forget that. This harkens back to an earlier theme in Samuel where they went out to war, but they forgot to bring the ark. Or they did some things without doing the sacrifice. Or the priest wasn't there. That's all right, we'll do the sacrifice without the priest, and then we'll go. It's like, no. You're trying to be the major player in the equation, and you've yet to ask, is God with us in this? And actually, love, there's a couple, er a couple times where Saul actually asked the question, wait, let's see if God is in this. And God tells him, no, you're not going to war, and you've got to stay. One of the great questions is to ask when you're doing something, is this is God with this? Right? Pardon me. <coughs> when you ask that question, is God with this? How do you measure that? Well, I look and see if anybody else has done it and had success. Then I find somebody who's spiritual and ask their advice. Or I look it up in the scripture and see if I got any verses about it. Or if I can't find those, something similar to it. We got all these things that we measure. Right? Because we're Rock Bible Church. Christ-centered. Okay, so we have a standard by which we make decisions and guides our thinking and our morals and all this kind of stuff. I'm going to throw a curveball now. What comes before uh, biblically-based? Christ-centered. Here's, here's a new one for you, Okay. If you want to know if God's with something, ask Him. I've, I've been spinning on this a little bit lately uh, because of who I am. I talk a lot about God. I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? Now, be nice, all right, because I'm going to pull off the armor. Be careful with me now. Do you think that I talk about God more or talk to God more? Which one of those two do you think I do most? You're so generous and you know you're wrong. <laughs> we can get so caught up in our measurements and our standards and what we think we're going to do and is God with it that just talk to him. Ask him. That's how great things happen. Dare I say, that's how success happens. 1 Samuel chapter 16, two chapters ago, verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. It's this idea that when, once God shows up, he rushes on and now let's go. Let's get something done. Let's remove your fear. Let's give you some confidence. Let's give you a first step. Let's give you some teammates. Let's give you some resources. But what's the instigator? Yeah, and talk to him. Got to have him with you, right? This, this little verse here from two chapters ago, verse 13, get the imagery, the anointing, and I love what... Um, Mark Campbell said about it. here a kid comes out all covered in oil like sopping wet. They drench it. It's, 
fully covered. Is that a symbolic image? Absolutely. Because when God's with you, you want to be fully covered with Him. That's when really um, great things can happen. Uh, number two, so first thing, success with God comes from God with them. Um, success with God sees no threats. Sees no threats. Is there two lists of verses there? It's the compare contrast, okay? And this time, uh, verses 1 through 4, that's, that's John, uh, Jonathan. And all of his statements about David, once he knew that David was anointed and David's going to be king, Johnny just jumped right in. All right, he's going to be king. I don't see any threats. I don't care if my dad is still king and what it looks like if I give all my armor and on my place and my robe and I give it. I'm, I don't care. None of this is a threat. I know where God's going. I'm just going to go do it. It's a great little thing in there. And I think it's there for us to see this. That next list, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15, 17, 21, 22, 25, 29. Any guesses on what you think those are? They're all Saul, and they're so sad. Because <laughs> they're all instances where he did something out of fear or anger. He's afraid. He's threatened. How often are you threatened? Oh, I'm, I'm never threatened, Scott. I'm very secure in my position before the Lord and been washed with the blood of Jesus. Okay, good for you. Let me ask you a different question. Um, how often do you overreact? That's a phrase um, in our family. We call it the OR, the overreaction. Right? And my kids get a little bugged, especially one of them and her name will not be mentioned. <laughs> Dad, you're, you're too in love with that overreaction phrase. Yeah, because when you overreact, it's a sign that you are threatened. What is fear? Fear is of a perceived loss, either present, past, or future. It's this idea that, ah, uh, I could be in trouble. Well, let, me, let me solve this for you right now. Ready? You're already in trouble. You're a sinner. We all fall short of the glory of God. There's no none righteous, no not one. The fact that you're still married or still alive or still healthy or add anything after still is but by the grace of God. So you're already in trouble. If you're already in trouble and you're still here, What's that mean? <gasps> Are you kidding me? Sarah, you mean there's a reason for us to still be here if we're still here? Oh, it's because you haven't finished your honeydew list? Is that what it is? No. It's God has a reason for you to be here. And if God has a reason for you to be here, then be here. If God has a reason for you to leave and go somewhere else, go. Kick the door down on your way out. And be there because that's where God wants you to be. And if it hurts, it's light and momentary affliction. If it's costly, it's nothing compared to what you're going to experience somewhere else. But at some point, we've got to stop being threatened. And I love this. Some of the best men that I've ever worked with, followed, that I've had as mentors, 
It's like you'd stand around and they were never threatened. They were just calm, happy, smile way too much, right? Got the lines in their face because they're always smiling. It's like, shouldn't that have cracked already, Laren? Right? I can name so many guys that were just, they're never threatened. Because who's in charge? God is, right? But when you start worrying about something, let me ask you this question. What are you worried about? Can I control it? Like you need to control it. That like God doesn't have a better plan than the one you have stuck in your head right now. That it's taking too long or it went too fast. Let me, let me ask you. This one might hurt a little because you just sang it. And I want to see if you really believe it, right? When, when something comes up that's like stirring the energy and creating the emotion... Let me ask you this question. Does grace hold that ground? You, we sang, what is it? Yeah, grace holds that ground. I'm, I'm sitting here singing with my wife. She's got her hand in my elbow. This worship moment together, it was fun. And, and I realized James is singing, grace holds that ground. Whoa. And then there was another line in a previous song. The depth of your, something like the depth of your grace is as deep as your scars. And I was like, oh, that's not true. It's theologically incorrect. Because his grace is deeper than his scars. Amen? I, I want to be in charge of changing lyrics of songs that are a little bit off. Right? Um, what are you threatened by? Why are you threatened? Um, because in this one, this one will hurt. Okay, um, when you're angry, afraid, doubt, you are in sin. What? I thought sin was like when you looked at too many naked pictures, or you went and squandered something, or you, you know, got drunk, or you know. I thought that's what sin is. No, no, no. When you doubt that God's in control and that His grace holds the ground, then your very emotion that he won't or might not, or if you mess it up, he'll take it from you, that fear is actually a sin because who are you doubting? Not yourself. You're doubting God. And it's actually a command. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, when I got to start getting... How many people are going to be at church today? I've been gone for two weeks. Do we still have a church? Well, of course, Scott, we liked it better when you were gone. <laughs> right? So we, we see no threats. Amen? <clears throat> and we believe that God holds all the ground. And then lastly is this. Success with God is pleased to get after it. Pleased to get after it. What's that mean? When I say it like that, get after it. Get up. Get going. Find an excuse to do what you're supposed to do rather than find an excuse to avoid it. Right? Now, uh, congratulations. Y'all did it today. You found an excuse to get to church. Amen? Little, right. You people online, you signed on. You found an excuse to watch and listen. Great. Uh, are there plenty of people that find excuses not to get after it? Well, I think it would be good, but maybe... Maybe we'll do it someday. 
I have a friend who is, uh, we were talking and we were talking about something we might want to do. And he's, yeah, let's do it. All right. He showed up and we, we, we did it. We got started. Um, what do you need to get started? What do you need to get after? Because success will never come if you don't start. Dave Ash, God bless his soul. Right as we're about to launch the church. He says, what do you want to do? What do you mean? We've been meeting, talking about how I want to start a church. Have you not been paying attention? No, no, no. What do you want to do in the church? Not just be the pastor, but if there is a church, what do you want you, your role, your function to be? Well, I want to preach and have a men's group. You want to have a men's group? Yeah. All right. Next week, Monday night, my house. Hey, we don't even have a church yet. He says, I know. But if we're going to have a men's group, we have to start it. Let's go. Next week, my house, Monday night, bam. I was like, you're going too fast. <laughs> we started that night. We had two meetings. Two weeks. God took them. Stupid business trip. Playing the we as a staff bonding experience. He had a little heart attack or something. And boom. In Texas. I don't get it. But I do get this. He knew if it's time to start something, get after it. Do what you need to do. And trust that God's with it. Talk to him about it. And then assume what? Thank you. Did they put it up already once? Okay, so you really guessed it? We assume success. We expect positive. We are opta- we believe we were meant to accomplish things, solve problems, heal, help, serve, give, pray. Assume it's going to work. That's why you have a church. Everybody told me no. Here's the problem. When you tell somebody that's oppositionally defiant no, <laughs> right? There were so many excuses for us not to start. There's so many excuses for you not to get involved in a men's group or a women's group or volunteer in this or volunteer in that or do something outside of the church. Might be actually better. We're all a little crazy here. And you know that because otherwise you wouldn't be here. Okay, that's a quote from uh, Alice in Wonderland actually. Um, but, but find something that you're going to go get involved in and be successful with. Because that's what God's designed you for. I said it to John. I was standing right here. He was right here. Joan was right there. We were in a different building last night. John, you weren't supposed to be here. He was in a hospital in Washington. He was on his deathbed. They're calling him to say goodbye. And God said, no. You're staying. I'm not done with you yet. Now, just to be alive would be enough. This guy, John, he's like, no, I'm going to go chase this girl. I want to see if she was going to marry. And then, boom, we have a party and the whole thing. They're riding off in their Harley three-wheeler, super loud, right? Apparently, something's wrong with the exhaust, and they're making noise, and her white stuff is flaying in the wind. It was, 
wonderful because your relationship with the Lord is just the beginning. He wants to then take you places and do fun stuff. Figure out what it is and get after it. There's plenty of verses in that chapter to give you examples. Amen? Um, by the way, you're allowed to talk about success at church. Because we, we follow the God of success. And if we're still here, it's because He still has plans for us. Father God, thank you for uh, these truths. Thank you for these characters, this passage. I pray, Lord, more importantly, that you would show each of us ways for you to be with us. That we would be Christ-centered before we're biblically based. That we would talk to you more than we talk about you. That we would follow, believe, try, initiate. We pray for the students, Lord. They're getting in vans. They're drying off to camp. We're so excited for them. We pray for great things. Lives change. People accepting you. Be with Megan and the staff, Brent, all those that are going to make this work. We trust great stories will come. We thank you, Lord, for the offering that we're about to receive. Pray that you would bless it and that no one feels obligated to give but recognizes this is something we do as a body of Christ, as a family. And so we pray and thank you for all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Pray for the band. They just used up all their energy. That was fun. I love that. Good job, guys. Um, if you have questions, don't be around for a little bit. But may God be your success. And may you experience it regularly. Amen? Amen. Go with Him.